all hear Dan's message and really listen and apply it to our lives. And I hope that everyone has a safe drive home. And amen. All right. Oh, excuse me, Chris. I got you. Doesn't our band is just doing a great job, right? Yeah. right? A lot of and and what's cool is we're, there's a lot of new blood that's getting mixed in there, uh, and so that's 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 really cool, really good. Um, <clears throat> are y'all ready for tonight? Yeah. I'm going to ask you to be gracious to me. Will you do you do that, please? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was talk, talking with someone uh, just about the message for this week. And it's an introduction to the book of Dan, Dan, Daniel. Uh, it's funny, I stutter on my name. Uh, uh, and I'll probably have to say it a lot tonight. Um, so it's an introduction to the book, and this is what they said. Hey, just, just remember, you're, you're not speaking to adults. And I'm thinking, how do you, you euthanize the book of Daniel? That's a good term, a pun on terms, right? How do you, do you think, because we're, so I need you to do this. Sit up. Don't be looking at your phones. Will you hang with me for like 20-something minutes? I'll try my best to keep it tight and to keep it in there. Um, But there's some background stuff. And as I've looked at this text, there's a thread in here I want us to understand before we begin to study this book. If we can understand this thread, it'll change the way as we study through this book, the way that we read it, the way that we see it. Um, And so a lot of times when we, we start a book, I'll say, who wrote the book of Dan, Dan, Daniel? And you would say, Daniel. But don't stutter like I did. That, that's, that's me. That's being a bully. All right? So, so you'd say, Daniel wrote that book. Uh, and then there's a, a few more things we're going to fill in the blanks for. Let's talk about the Bible as a whole, okay? The whole Bible that you have. What link, a link, a language was it originally written in? Now, some, some are going, King James. Right, right. Which hey, that's not a bad book. That's a good book to use. It's just not the book, right? So originally, it was written the in what? What was one of them? Name, name one of them. Hebrew. Hebrew. And was that the Old Testament or the New? Oh. Old Testament written in Hebrew. The New was written in Greek. Greek. That's right. You are absolutely correct. But there's also a part of it that wasn't written in Hebrew or Greek. It was written in a language called. Aramaic. Aramaic was an ancient, ancient link, link, language that was used 700 BC. That's before Christ. Some of you see, I don't know what that means, but BC, so it's way back there, and it was used up until about 200 or 400 AD. So it was, it was used, and it was used a lot. It was sort of the main link, language of the day. They believe that when Jesus spoke, when he lived on earth, he spoke Aramaic. You go, oh, that's interesting. And you see it uh, when he's on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. He is on the cross. The sins of mankind have been laid upon him. And at that, mo- that moment, and we know it from what he says here, the Son of God has been s- s- separated from the Father God for the first time ever because God cannot be around sin. Sin is placed on the Son. And it says in a loud voice, he says, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which, which is Aramaic for my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, so when you, read, when you see this verse, it's a pivotal point 
for us. It's the point when he who knew no sin became sin for us so we might become the righteousness of God. That's the, the gospel. That's where the good news hit was right here. Great news for us, awful news for the Son and for the Father. What a sacrifice that was paid. So, so we, know, we believe that's probably what he spoke. In the Word of God, it's used only sparingly in the New Testament, like a verse like this, but it's also used in two books a lot. Ezra is used, not the one who's here, but it's in the book. Uh, it's used in, in chapters 4 through 7. Uh, it's 67 verses. And in Daniel, it's used in chapters 2 through 7, uh, and it's about 200 verses. It's all in a row. And they go, well, why, why do they believe that? And some men and scholars much smarter than I am, as I've read up on this, a lot of them believe that these, this was because Daniel took these from his personal notes and diary of the day, of the accounts of the day. So he, he wrote the whole book, but this was from the personal experiences that he had of those days in chapters 2. So um, the book of Daniel was written in what? Hebrew and Aramaic. Okay, so make sure you understand that. Now, we're going to read Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. That's all, really, we might go a little bit past that, but we're not going to explain a whole lot past that. But I want you to stand in honor of God's word. A lot of times we've had youth that have read. I don't have a youth that's going to read tonight. You're sorry you're stuck with me. Uh, and so we're just going to read verses 1 and 2. And we stand because we honor God's word. We believe this is the word of God. And it's just a reminder to us, man, this is special. God's gift to us. Uh, we, you don't always have to, at home, don't like, oh, i got to stand up if I'm going to read this. We do it just to remind ourselves to, to honor God. Here it says in chapter 1, verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the tre treasury of his God. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you so much for your word. God, a chance for us just to, to slow down from whatever type of week we've had to read your word, uh, to talk about things that are important to you. But Lord, help us to, to see what, what you want us to see in this text tonight. God, we invite your spirit. We, we need you, God, to move in this place because uh, apart from you, we're lost. Uh, we're always lost apart from you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so have a seat. Now, and context is, is key, right? You can't study the Word of God unless you know the context of what is going on. And I want to remind you, Old Testament people of God had a distinct pattern. Pattern. They would follow God, seek God, get off on this path to follow God and get caught in something else. They'd begin to chase that. They would crash and burn. They'd be hurting. They'd repent. They'd turn back to God. God would bless them. He would, he would walk with them. He would guide them. He would protect them. They would walk with him. They'd walk away from him. They'd crash and burn again. We see it a lot in uh, when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Uh, and they cry out to God for a del deliverer. They, they cry out. They're crying out, God, help us. And we see uh, that God sends them who? Moses, who says, let my people 
go, and, and Pharaoh says, y'all are so enthusiastic right now. Y'all are the worst group of third through fifth graders. They would be all over it. Okay, so, so he says, let them go. They say, no, God sends these plagues, all these plagues. They come, and the Pharaoh gets to his, his end and says, just get out of here, go. And it says that God leads them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So they always see him, and he's always going before him. What a place to be. So they are, they are walking, literally walking with God. He's going before them, leading. They get to the Red Sea. What do they do? They, they don't go, ah, God is with us. They go, oh, no, what we're going to do? We're going to die. We should have never left this place. Why did you take us here to die is what they cry out to Moses. Once again, we see their faith fail. We see God doesn't just step on them like I would if I was God because I'd be an awful God because I'd be mean. He doesn't step and crush them. God, what? He parts the sea. He lets them through. When the bad guys try to come through, the sea comes, crashes on top of them. They go, God, you are such a good God. You delivered us. They go into the, um, let me make sure I get this right. They go, they're, they're going around and they're like, man, we need some food. We don't have food. And they're like, Moses, why did you lead us out here to die? Because we're going to starve to death. Uh, we, we'd be so much better enslaved in, in Egypt. And all of a sudden, they long for the enslavement that they had. Don't, isn't it funny that we do the same thing here, right? They long for it. And so, so what does God do? He sends uh, manna, which is bread from, from heaven. But the word manna, you know, you know what that means? I, 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 what is it? What it? It means what is it? It's actually the phrase, what is it? The Hebrew phrase, what is it, is manna. So they're like, what is it? I don't know, what is it? It's good, eat it. What is it? And so it got that name. Interesting, look at the stuff you've learned tonight. Amazing, you're like, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. So he sends that, and quail, they're great. And then Moses goes to Mount Sinai. He says, hey, y'all behave yourselves while I go commune and talk with God. Do they? No. They go, hey, let's build a calf, a gold one, and we'll dance around it and cut ourselves, and we will worship this calf because Moses has left us. God must have eaten him up or something. He comes down. He makes them. He takes the, the golden calf, sees what they're doing. He grinds it up to powder, pours it in their water, and makes them drink it all. That's what I like about Moses. I'd be like, oh, I'd be like that, right? So he makes them drink it all. And then he says, hey, if you're on God's side, get over here. And if you're not on God's side, get over there. And all those that get on this side, they kill every one of them that's not on God's side. The people turn to God. <laughs> okay, we're not, this is not a game we're playing. And we see this cycle over and over and over. And, you know, it's the same, same, same cycle that we have today. I don't know if you know, but we experience it today. I want to show you. Uh, and it's on the screen with words. It's a radio tr 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 transcript by a broadcaster named Paul Harvey from 1965. He, he, he did this three-minute spiel called, If I Was the Devil. And I want you to see what he says he would do to America if he was the devil. Take, take a, a look or, or listen. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. 
and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The. So I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies, and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious what'll you bet I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich I would caution against extremes in hard work in patriotism in moral conduct I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned that swinging is more fun that what you see on TV is the way to be and thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. Whoa. That was 54 years ago that he spoke that. How much is the world we live in look a lot like everything that he just said? Hmm. I uh, I want us to look back a little bit on the 150 years before uh, we we come to this chapter one, uh, verse one in Daniel, because I want you to see the state of the cold culture that they were in. Turn to we're going to be in Second Kings, uh, and probably beginning verse 16, and we're I'm going to jump through this. So so fly through this with me because I just want you to see this part. Um, You know, uh, as you turn there, <clears throat> sometimes you go, "Man, is it hopeless? Is is it is or is it hopeless? Is do we stand a chance?" Now, the world says, uh, and most of the world agrees, we're America's in a post-Christian era. 
that the high time of Christianity here was 40 years ago or, 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 or more. Uh, and we're now in the, we've hit in the post-Christian era where Christianity is a lot of times attacked and mocked, right? True or false? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and a lot of times you can look at that and go, man, do we even stand a chance? And uh, I think we do. I, 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 I come, I, you know, I come into even a place like this, and I would not lie to myself going, ah, everybody here saved and believes in Christ and walks with Christ. I don't believe that, but I believe there are quite a few of you that do, uh, that you are standing tall in places that are hard to stand tall. You're standing firm. You're fighting for your faith. So don't lose heart, and that's sort of what we, as we're going to go through the first next few weeks in this book, it's going, man, God is bigger than anything that you face. Even this world that we live in, God is still bigger. So look in, in, um, in 2 Kings verse 16, verses uh, 1 through 3, it talks about in the 17th year of Apika, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. And, uh, and it says in the middle of verse 2, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord as God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. The kings of Israel at that time had done much wrong. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Ahaz was an evil king for Israel. Verse chapter 17, it says, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of, of Elah, began to reign. And then verse 2, it says this, and he, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They had another evil king. Verse chapter 18, in the year of Hosea, son of, uh, third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. We see two evil kings, one God-fearing king. And, and if you read more, I encourage you to read more about this, this king that while those before him had done wrong, he was fighting to lift God up. The one who, who followed him, uh, Manasseh, was only 12 years old when he began to reign. Uh, and, uh, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the, the, the nations whom the Lord, Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Once again, we hit another evil king. And he reigned for 55 years, and he was known for being extremely evil uh, in his deeds and wicked in his deeds. Then uh, Ammon was 22 when he began to reign. Verse, uh, verse 20, it says, And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So we see all this, this, this evil kings, those that lead are evil. Verse uh, chapter 22, verse 1 through 2, Josiah was 8 when he began to reign. Uh, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the way of, his, of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. He, he did what was right in that path that God put before him. He didn't sway at all. What a beautiful king he was in the midst of all these evil kings. Then we see chapter 23, uh, Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then we see a, another uh, uh, in verse 23, verse 36, the last one we're going to hit right here, so I know I'm, 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 I'm wearing you out. Jehoiakim, 
was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The history for, for Judah at this time, which Judah was one of the, the Israel kingdoms, was, was in very bad shape, and it was going downhill fast. And one, one of the things you learn as you read the text, and it, it, it sort of fits, that um, for the leadership, so if the king was evil, the people would do evil. When the king was good, the people would draw back to God. But when the king was evil, they would just follow the king and, and, and whatever practices he laid down. Look here in Second in Kings verse 17 when it talks about Hosea. It says, And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns from watchtowers to fortified cities. They set up for themselves uh, pillars and Ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. So they're wor- wor- worshiping things that are not God. And, and there they made offerings in all the high places as the, as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger, and they served idols. When the king was evil, the, pe- the people would follow. They just did whatever the king did. You see it again in chapter 21, verse 9. But they did, it talks about the people, but they did not listen, and Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before they got there. So, so the kings filtered down. So evil king, evil pe- people. And we see in the text, when the, the king was a good king, they would draw back to God. But when the evil king came, they would, they, they would flop back away. What's, what's the point of this the book of Daniel starts at a very, very bad note. It is a very low note. Let's read, you stay in your seats, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1 of Daniel. Again, it says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, that was the last evil king we just read about uh, in Second Kings, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jeho- Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of of the nobility. Verse 4 goes into youth without blemish. I want you to know two things as we're going into this book of Daniel, and there's not a whole lot left tonight because there was just a lot of this background information that I just want you to, to sort of get to think about. Just because things aren't going well for you, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. Just because, because we think, man, things aren't going well for me, how can God care about me? Just because things aren't going well for you, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care, and it doesn't mean that God's not around. As a, as a teenager, I was at church. I believe that God was a God who, who created the world and spun it into existence because how could a loving God at all create me where I couldn't talk right and everybody looked at me funny when I opened up my mouth? There could be no way there was a, a, a God that cared about me. Why? Because the circumstances of my life, that's what I, my, my view of God until that one day when, when, when the gospel was shared with me and it was so clear that, man, God did care about me. And he made me with a purpose and a plan. So know this, even if it's not going well, and, 
in a room this size with as many here, there's some of you that it's, it's not going well. It may not be going well at all, uh, and it's not been that way for a long time. Can I, can I tell you this? God cares because Dan, Daniel, when it talks about in the end of verse 4 that they, they carried off these youth without blemish, he was one of the youth, 14 years old. We find in the start of the story, 14 to 16 was probably his age. He was a young man, the age of many of you here, and he is his his. His place is attacked, many are killed, and those that are strongest and look the best are taken back to um, become uh, Babylonians. So he's he's one of these youth. That's where we first meet him. And he's got a choice at that point. He can be like everybody else for the past 154 years. When there was a good king, they fought a good king well, but when there was a bad king, they did whatever he said to do. He had to, and so he goes to this place where it is a very evil, bad king. The odds were, would tell you, man, he's, he's going he's gonna to be crushed, and he's, there's no way he's going to be able to stand on his own. But we see something different. <clears throat> um, what I love about the story that we're going to be in and for probably 10 weeks or, or, or more is that they flip the switch, the script. They flip the script. Daniel and his friends, we're going to learn about them more. You probably heard them. Um, uh, what are their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? So see, these three friends, it's like us four no more unless you want to come join us, but no one seems to. There's this four that stand out like a sore thumb, and some of you, your, your crew that is going to stand beside you isn't going to be a group of like 100 plus 110 in a room. It's going to be two. And you're going to have to choose, do I stand for God or do I not? The, um, they don't live by the standard evil kings bring forth an evil nation, but through their faithfulness, they show that an evil king can praise the perfect God. An, an evil king can be turned. He may not be turned completely. We, we'll, we'll read more about that. But they change the standard of evil brings evil. They make evil, and we say we're going to stand for God no matter what. That, that clip that you heard, you, you, you heard things on that clip, and you went, man, that is the world that we live in. And uh, many in American Christianity today goes, oh, it's no big deal. Uh, just go watch that. Go do this. Go do that. It's no big deal. God loves you still. He'll forgive you for it. And it's bigger than that. Are you going to let evil rule in your life or not? Daniel didn't. Themes in in this book that we're going to key in, it's it's a very prophetic book in the end. Some prophecies all throughout it. There's visions. He has these crazy visions. And I'm not sure how deep we're going to get into those. But this is two of the themes. God is sovereign. You know what that means? He's in control. And I want you to know this tonight. No matter what you're dealing with, whether it's good or bad, God's in control. And sometimes even when our hand is bad, God's allowed us to have that bad, that, that, that in, in, in our bag to draw, draw us to him. I've, I've said before, and you've heard me say it, if I didn't stutter or speak the way that, that, that I do, I think I would be the biggest jerk in the world because I think I'm smarter than everybody in the room. No offense, but I am. So, but I think that. And when I can't say my own name or I get stuck on the word and, how do you get stuck on the word and? It makes no sense at all. It draws me back down. I'm like, oh, I'm just not that. I'm, I need God every, every day. We all need it. 
So first, God is in control of things. And two, the theme of this book is uh, we're called to be faithful. You are called to be faithful where you are right now. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what can you do? Be faithful to God. But what if it costs me? Yeah, be faithful to God. What if I, I lose some friends? I know, be, faith, be faithful to God. What if I don't do this well in this class because if I don't cheat, I'm not going to do it. I know. I get it. Man up, woman up, and be faithful to God. That's what we need to start doing. Um, what's interesting is Daniel chapter 1 is the beginning of the end of the nation of Israel. It is going to have 22,500 years where the, the, there'll be nomads with no home. The Jews will, will not have a home for 2,500 years. Wrap your brain around that. Um, 75 generations or more away from what your age is back. That's how long. Like your grandkids to the 75th might have a chance if you were displaced now to get back into the home. That's how long. Forever long. And so, do you know what the name Daniel means? It means God is my judge. God is my judge. It's interesting in the book. It starts there. And this, this book really begins the beginning of the end of Israel for a long time, where they have been e- evil for so long, and finally the judgment comes. And this is the truth. We all sin and rebel against God. We choose to sin. We're not forced to do it. We choose to lie. We choose to think wrong thoughts. We choose to hate. We, tr- we choose to to. to to covet. We want things that aren't ours. We get mad. We get prideful and selfish. Those are all things that we choose to do. And that separates us from God. And God knew that we could not, by good deeds, we, we can't fix it. We can't do enough good deeds to fix the wrong we do because we've already hurt that relationship where we're separated from God and we cannot reach him. But God reached out to us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live a life without sin, to live a sinless life. I don't know how he did it, but he did. And like I said before, he, he, he was placed on a cross. When he was on that cross, being crucified for crimes he did not c- commit, or he, he was sinless, God took mankind's sins and placed them on the Son, and he died as a sacrifice. He, he took our sins, and he imputed to us, gave to us righteousness that he had earned because he, he, he did not sin, so he was righteous. And so he took our guilt and gave us righteousness. That's why the cross makes no sense at all. You're like, that's not fair. I know. But that's how much God loves us. And that's how much God has a plan for us. So as we, we look in, in this book, uh, as we start in it, as we heard that clip, man, our, our, our world is a wreck. They need help. The only hope for our world is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to turn things around. My, my prayer is that our youth group, that I, that we will be bold where, wherever we go because there are students, there are adults, there are people everywhere that need hope, that need hope. And uh, I hope as we, I hope that as we work through this book, you see the hope there is when you stand uh, for what's right. And you see how big God is when you begin to stand for what's right, even in your own life. Because when you start to, when you start to walk in faith, and live for God and live for Christ, you'll see God a lot bigger. You'll see him a lot more than you do when you hide and you just sort of stay with the crowd. When you stay with the crowd, they, they block the view. But when you stand up and walk with them, you see him. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you so much. Uh, just for a chance to inter- introduce a book tonight, God, but there's so much truth in this. And 
And God, I love the story of Daniel. Uh, and he is someone who, as I read him, that's someone I want to be like. Uh, and Lord, I just ask for the, the courage uh, for each student in this room uh, to stand for their faith, to stand for what is right, whether it's at school, uh, for some it's at home, uh, or the workplace, or the neighborhood, or even sometimes it's at church. God, help us to just be bold for you. Uh, we thank you for the gift of your son. I thank you for everybody here. And God, um, help, help us to, to, to follow you the best we can. Uh, and no matter who leads us, wherever we are, God, may we always turn to you and trust you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, make sure high school, small group, sign up for that snow ski trip. I've got some flyers on it in the back of the room.